it's been a constant refrain of mine lately that I'm frustrated that nobody is watching great superhero television. And I'm so happy that I no longer have to say that about the boys. Even, even though season two, I think, faltered just a little, still fantastic television. But the fact that so many people are now watching this show, I think is just such a win. And I actually have some kind words for the change in distribution strategy. So let's get to it. There's so much to talk about. I mean, the boys season finale, they, they dropped it a little bit early last night. They've been dropping all of them early, but they dropped this one particularly early. And it almost trended top 10 on Twitter. I mean, that is awesome. Season three, let's get this trending top 10 every week. I think it should debut at a specific time. That's like the evening. You know, the reason I think the HBO shows are able to trend is because they air in the middle of the evening on a Sunday night. But because The Boys goes on the air at midnight, you know, people watch it different times throughout the day. So let's really, let's really hone in on the right release strategy for this show and let's have Amazon put it up, uh, I'd say like around, you know, 8 or 9 p.m. East Coast time uh, on Fridays, right? Uh, I don't even know if Friday would be the right day if they were going to do that, but that's what I think they should do. And then I think they would get trending top 10, as it deserves. It's what, it's what they deserve. All right, so hello and welcome to my spoiler review for The Boys Season 2. What a roller coaster! And I'm not just talking about our highly emotional reaction to the new release schedule, weekly instead of binging. I was furious, as you might recall from my non-spoiler review, as were many of you which became, I think, one of the most memorable things about season two, all those one-star reviews over on Amazon. They even made a funny commercial out of it, or GIF, uh, you know, having Homelander looking at all the one-star reviews and getting upset. But I think it was a process, I think, actually, that Eric Kripke and his team were right. They needed to make this transition. I think it ended up working out. People do talk, and people do talk about the show, and they talk about it for longer. It got into the top 10 uh, Nielsen ratings for streaming for multiple weeks now. It's two weeks in a row. I mean, that's fantastic. It was a brutal transition, but now hopefully it's behind us. We've been, we've, we've gotten used to it. We've been trained to watch it weekly. I'm going to start reviewing it weekly uh, for season three. Um, I think it worked. I think it worked. But even beyond that, I felt season two was a roller coaster with, in terms of quality, not just episode to episode, but within each episode, up and down, up and down. But at the end, I think when the ride came to a stop, we all shouted again. So I'm very happy, of course, that season three has already been greenlit. Who knows when we're going to get it because of the pandemic. But we, I just know that we all can't wait to get it. Uh, also, maybe there has been some criticism of season two. Criticism with love. So hopefully because they have a little bit of a forced pause, the creators of the show will take a look at that. I hope they take a look at the criticism with love and, you know, Think about what everyone's saying, because I think that the critique I'm about to give is constructive, and I'm not going to tear it apart by any means, but I just feel that there are obvious problems that the show has uh, made, and so I would hate, to, there's no reason for them to repeat those mistakes. There's just no reason for it. Uh, and also, of course, there's a spinoff show that was just greenlit. I'm not sure how the spinoff show is going to do, though. I mean, I'm definitely going to watch it, but because to me, what makes The Boys such a good show is the characters. But after watching season two, 
I'm starting to feel that maybe the show itself thinks that what makes it special is that it pushes the edge of the envelope. And I don't agree. That's what made the comic book stand out. And sure, that's an element of the show for sure. But it's these great characters and the actors playing them that make it work. And I actually think that the show, as you're about to see, is much more nuanced and sophisticated than it seems at first glance. And I think the more they push the edge of the envelope, the more they distract people from the actual brilliant work that they're doing. I just... I think they're going further than they need to. And I cringed a lot this season with sometimes when they, I felt they, they were forced to push the edge of the envelope. Some of the actors were forced to push the edge of the en- envelope too far and often unnecessarily. And I think the biggest victim of this by far in season two was Homelander. For instance, every sex scene he had, I felt was done for shock value and even worse, didn't work. Uh, it just didn't work for me, including our last shot, the last memory we have of him from season two. I much would have preferred it would it would have been, I would have preferred it either be him leaving his son behind, uh, being forced to do that. We'll talk about that in a moment. I would have preferred it be the press conference and they zoomed in on his, his, his I don't want to say his dead eyes, but, you know, his angry eyes. You know, he's like very much a raging storm inside at the end of season two. And I guess he decided to make it rain. <laughs> He decided to put that raging storm on the outside. But, you know, I think they did it to be a, to up the ante on that shot of him urinating that they promote. It was, was a promotional image in season one, and it's from the comic. Uh, I think in the comic, maybe he just went straight to masturbation, you know, the character. But, you know, it just I felt it was degrading to the character. Same for Black Noir with that Almond Joy, which we're also going to talk about. I just think that sometimes things were done for a joke or to be edgy, and it was done at the expense of the character in the long in the long run. So that bothered me. I mean, if you want sexy scenes with Homelander, I thought all of his interactions with Elizabeth Shue in season one and even her brief return here were far more effective and titillating. I, thought, I mean. I thought that that stuff worked really well. And I thought that the stuff with Stormfront never came even close to that. I mean, I think that they didn't, I think that they're both very, I think that Anthony Starr and Aya Cash are both very talented actors, but they just didn't have the chemistry that Starr and Shu did. Uh, now, those were low points for Homelander. In a season where, as I said, it's a roller coaster, he also had some very high points. Talking to his son about how he was brought up, you know, how he, everybody, you know, he's raised by scientists, learning to control his powers, the juxtaposition of focus on someone you hate, and his son's like, I don't really hate anybody. I mean, that stuff was phenomenal. Even little moments, you know, the same episode when he gave Stormfront that look when she was talking about white genocide, the the planet uh, Vaught interaction at the restaurant. I mean, this stuff was all so incredibly well done. And then also, when he makes the choice to let Butcher take his son away because Queen Maeve threatens to release that tape she has of what happened on the airplane back in season one, which means he'll never be loved by anyone ever again. And I think they were really, really working hard to show that that's Homelander's Achilles heel, that he just wants to connect with someone so desperately, even if they're Nazi, apparently. I'm glad that relationship is over. We'll talk about that, too, a little bit later in this video. But I don't think you can, I don't think you should oversimplify that decision that he made. I mean, I think they tried to do that by having him hear Homelander chants in his mind. Like, he's like, I don't want to lose that. No. I mean, that just made it seem to me like he's an egomaniac. But I don't think that's what it was. I think that that was an element at play. But I also think that, you know, Think about his identity and who he is. I mean, that's all he's ever had is his, you know, fans, right? His image. And that's what his whole life has been built around. It's, it's like it's like everything that he's ever done with him. He, I mean, it takes tremendous strength for anybody. I mean, by the way, Homelander, obviously, what he did on that plane was despicable. But, I mean, 
what makes her an interesting character and also even a villain is that they're not clear-cut and whether or not they're good or bad. Uh, to me, Homelander is interesting when you see a little bit of, you see potential for good in him, which is why there's hope for his son, Ryan, and they're making such an emphasis on the importance of how you're raised. But cancel culture, I think, also factored into that threat because we've seen now uh, what it's like for a person to be made a pariah, that he could never show his face again pretty much anywhere if that tape was released. I mean, I thought Maeve, it was a very powerful threat. She wasn't just threatening his celebrity and his career. She was threatening his ability to exist in the world. So I think The Boys is actually an incredibly complex show, a very sophisticated show, and I think that would be more apparent if they weren't distracting people with stuff that's like over-the-top edgy, that's unnecessary, and also if they slowed things down a bit. All right, so now on that point, to me, season two was really two seasons smashed into one. One season really should have focused on the tug of war for Ryan. Not only who should get to have him, because clearly both his parents love him. I really do feel both his parents love him. But who, of course, will shape him into the living weapon he'll become? And I think that Ryan's mother is very much aware of that, but I don't think that even occurs to Homelander. I think he sees Ryan as a chance to save somebody from what he went through uh, and also to connect to his childhood, uh, to almost have a childhood to live through Ryan. I mean, that's really fascinating stuff. And we could have done that if it had been its own season. And then the other season should have been about Stormfront, Vought, and their Nazi origins. Now, at first, I really didn't think this had any place in the show, which is why I was reluctant to review. You know, that's the downside of a week-to-week review, because you don't see, you can't step back and see the bigger picture. So I was like, why are we bringing Nazis in here? I mean, we shouldn't spotlight and try to spotlight on Nazis under any circumstances. I was very upset about it. And to take a fan-favorite character and put him in that circle, I was very concerned about it. But ultimately, this became a story of how evil and hate don't ever really go away, but they go into hiding and come back repackaged. And that business, as Stan Edgar so coldly and powerfully says, is really what it's always about. I mean, that was really well done. And they didn't get a chance to, I think, do it properly. In both storylines, Homelander talks about his childhood and Stormfront talks about the beginnings of Compound V, Vought, and superheroes. And these are all things I would have liked to have seen. I mean, that is screenwriting 101, show don't tell. And if they had been separate seasons, we would have had time for flashback episodes. I mean, that is really, to me, huge missed opportunities. And then it seems like season three is going to be about politics. Oh, be careful, the boys, because I think that they they handled some things here not as well as they could have, which I think turned some people off to the show. Like, for instance, in the first season, they dealt with, you know, you know, Bible camp and, you know, religion being used as a way to control people. And I thought that, while that still angered some people, I thought that they took their time and therefore they made their points really well. But here, things were done so quickly, so, so with a sledgehammer and you know, and you would you you couldn't really stick to one train of thought because the show was moving from train to thought multiple times. So it was really hard for you to really see and, and have the impact of what the show is trying to portray and say. And so uh, I worry about if they will have that same problem with politics. I just you know it's 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 difficult waters for anyone to navigate these days. Because, of course, it's revealed that Congressman Newman uh, is not only a soup, but she was the one blowing everyone's heads up. That was cool because she was, of course, in the room. Her own chief of staff. Damn. But how did she see, uh, you know, at the beginning when they took out, uh, you know, Jennifer Esposito? How was how, how was she there? I mean, 
I'll be curious. I mean, I, this, I hope they would maybe do a flash. The show doesn't really do flashback episodes, it seems, which is unfortunate. I think they, I think they kind of are starting to be at the point where they need them. Uh, but anyway, uh, we'll talk about season three in another video. That'll go up tomorrow. But I personally, right now, I feel that she, she's working for Vaught. I think that, or I mean, I don't think she's, I think Vaught, Stan Edgar clearly is a master strategist who is not going to be rushed, unlike the show. And I think he has multiple plans in play so that he can move to whichever one suits him when he needs it. And I think just like the Church of Scientology stand-in was a play for him, just like, you know, the insane asylum, you know, the mental institution testing adult compound V was a different strategy. And I think this plan to take on, you know, to have an insider in, in the government is one of his working plans. And he just sees how they come along and, you know, he just, he just rides the wave. And I think he's doing it incredibly well. One huge complaint I have for this season is not enough Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, he, his Stan Edgar is fantastic, and I thought he was noticeably absent from the season. I mean, just pay him what he needs. I mean, I want, him, I want more of him. But I just believe that she, again, is Vought's, you know, Stan Edgar's play to control the government from the inside. And we'll see what happens in season three. Now let's talk about characters, who I'm going to list in the order of my favorite, at least in the beginning. There are so many characters, and I'm trying to have a cohesive conversation as I work my way through them. But to me, it's always Homelander and Butcher in like a photo finish for favorite. I mean, this show is about these guys who are basically two sides of the same coin. They really are kind of like a Superman and a Batman. I mean, that to me, that's the heart of the show. And as I was going to say this later in my notes, but I'll say it here. I think when this show forgets that, that's when the show suffers. It's just, it's a really well set up show in that regard. And so last season, Homelander, just by a smidge was my favorite. But this season, by the end of it, I actually thought that Billy Butcher was my favorite this season. I'm not going to lie. I think that some of the things that Homelander was made to do brought him down a little bit for this season. And that's one of the reasons that he just comes in right, right behind Billy Butcher. So let's talk about Billy Butcher first. It was fantastic to see Carl Urban's character grow as a person. That was fantastic. And it, uh, to be brought out of his shell, particularly by um, Huey. That was great. I thought that really worked. It was a little heavy-handed. It's like, you look like my younger dead brother. And you're like, all right, I get it. But it worked. It worked, largely, I think, thanks to the fantastic acting by Urban and Jack Quaid. But also, I love the scene when we saw his father. I mean, they even dressed alike, which I thought was hilarious. And of course, they have acted together in the past, which also a lot of people got a kick out of. But to see how his father had damaged and shaped him, especially in light of Homelander and the question of Homelander should raise his son, was fascinating. And then, of course, even more so, Butcher is then faced with the opportunity to become an instant father himself with the same kid. I mean, the boys kind of did turn into my two dads. I mean, I thought that was really fantastic stuff. I was, on that note, very disappointed that Butcher gave up Ryan to the CIA. I mean, I guess he has no business raising a kid, but I don't know, a soup kid? I think he could, quite frankly. I feel Butcher would do an excellent job shaping Ryan as a living weapon, to be caring, but ruthless when he needs to be. I mean, I'd be like, quite frankly, Butcher, I think you're the perfect person to raise this child. I understand that he has to deal with his hate because of Ryan accidentally killing his mother. We'll talk about that in a moment. But... I think that he, I think it would be some I mean I think living in a world where people have superpowers and the reality of that and that you know people you know it's a famous quote accidents happen well imagine if accidents happen with superpowers I mean I think that's just the world that everybody finds themselves living in and Butcher just happens to be on the front lines of it 
So to explore that through his complex relationship with this adopted kid, you know, his his ex, his you know, his his um, his wife's son, would I think, and his she, she this kid's a connection still to her. I thought that would be. I think. I think that would be fantastic. So I really hope that Ryan returns in season three, and Butcher continues to keep checking in on him and guiding him. Maybe you can't have Ryan every night because he's got to go out and do do his job. I'm sure he'll take up uh, Mallory on her offer, uh, but I think he should definitely spend the weekends with Ryan. I do feel bad for him that his wife got killed, but I think you know for you know for, for the character. But I think from a story perspective. It needed to happen because there was nowhere else to go with her character. I think at this point, now that Butcher had found her, I mean, the only options were is they ride off into the sunset together or she has to get killed, basically, because we can't have him pining after her anymore or being like, I want us to be reunited. And he has to keep being Butcher because that's what everybody tunes in to see. So, I mean, I think that the story went where it needed to go and it did it well. And wow, how powerful is Ryan that he did that to Stormfront when, of course, Homelander's heat vision barely singed her. I mean, like, he, he singed her, but in a way that she liked. But he didn't do that. I mean, that was impressive. I'm very, very interested to see what happens to Ryan. They have to bring him back. And by the way, I don't know if Stormfront's necessarily dead, by the way. I think that she maybe could, you know, regenerate. I mean, she regenerated from her her, her tryst, her trysts, or I can't even pronounce, what's the word? You know, her, her sex scenes with uh, Homelander. So I, maybe there's some chance she could come back from that. I don't know. I guess we'll see how... I mean, I think her character was pretty popular. Would you want to see Stormfront come back? I have mixed feelings about it. Maybe if they slow things down. We're going to talk about Stormfront in a moment. But first, we have to talk about my second favorite character, and that's Homelander. Anthony Starr has been made a superstar by this show, and he has definitely earned it. He's fantastic. Love him so much on this show. I mean, he is Homelander, and I think... He's, I mean, in the comics, Homelander is just a straight-up horrible, disgusting person. But here, Eric Kripke, his team, and Star have created a really complex character who's been warped as a living science experiment and who I believe really feels he's doing a great job as the world's premier hero. But like as a regular guy, you know, like as a lot of people treat their job. I think he feels he's doing a great job. I think he loves his job. And I think he feels like, you know, oops, you know, but, you know, again, what's it like to live in a world with superpowers. I mean, of course, obviously, he he should be more responsible. um, But I I think he's a really interesting character. I mean, those are the moments when they explore that, where the the grayness, you know, not the black and white, but the grayness of his character, that I think that the show is, is absolutely brilliant. And I hope we get to see more of that again in season three. I feel matching with Stormfront did not work. Now, in retrospect, I can see that perhaps this relationship was meant to show Homelander that he doesn't want to be a god, like he was saying he was at the, at the beginning, you know, at least not in the sense of the Nazi ubermensch, which of course is how Stormfront saw him, uh, which at first I found very distasteful. But in this context, you're like, okay, cool. It's, you know, because like, he, I think it was so important that Homelander, you know, think that white, the idea of white genocide was ridiculous. I mean, that was a crucial moment for the character. But anyway... Uh, he, of course, again, was heading in that direction, and Stormfront just pushed him down in that direction faster, and he saw that's what he didn't want. I think this all could have been better done if, again, it had been its own, had its own season and had been given more room to breathe. So I understand why Stormfront was there, but I just don't think that it worked. As for Stormfront, I gotta tell you, it really bothered me that Aya Cash is half Jewish, and the show never explored why someone who is Jewish would become a Nazi. 
And because, you know, it's it's fascinating. It's a fast. It could have been fascinating because, of course, the Nazis tragically and horrifically experimented on their Jewish, some of their Jewish prisoners. So it would make sense that to test compound V, they would use, you know, Jewish prisoners in the concentration camps. And so maybe that's how she got the first to be tested. That's how she met Vought. And that uh, and then how was she how was she brainwashed to go from being someone who was persecuted to being on the other side of it and truly believing that, you know, even though clearly she was not someone who was from that group. I mean, to me, that was such a glaring problem. Every time that she was, that we saw Stormfront, I was like, the character just never clicked or rang true to me. I was like, how are we not addressing this? It was, it was, it really drove me crazy. All right. Uh, I did think though that she ended up being a brilliant commentary on manipulating social media and, you know, the evolution of hate or the way hate changes to fit the times. That stuff was really good. Uh, as, although I, I thought that the stuff with the guy who was making the memes, I think it was supposed to be implied that he was making them for her, but they didn't really make that, I think, too cl- clear enough. But the fact that he shot that really nice guy at the convenience store because he thought, oh, your eyes flashed, are you a soup? And he wasn't, and he killed him. I felt that the show didn't do enough to condemn that. I really had a problem with that. Those were moments where I thought the show, I thought the season two occasionally was really irresponsible, which I think they have to be, if they're going to now do it again with politics, they have to be really careful. I mean, this is like, this stuff, this commentary has real world application and real world stakes. So you have to, you can't, you just can't be flippant, flippant with it and be like, I'm going to flip you the bird while I say it. You're like, no, you got, that distracts from what you're saying. I mean, you got to be, if you're going to go down this path, you have to do it responsibly. So that's something I, I do worry about for the show going forward. Now, as for the seven otherwise, besides Homelander and Stormfront, I came to really love A-Train this season. I, you know, I wasn't sure where they were going with him. I mean, by the way, I'm very glad his powers are back. Uh, and I love that they're really, you know, exploring what he could do with them. The stuff that they were filming the movie, I mean, again, that like made a lot of funny jokes where you're like, oh, it's a, it's a shot at Joss Whedon and oh, like, it's like the Avengers. But I thought that was just a distraction, you know? And I also felt, by the way, I guess I should touch on this, um, that Queen Maeve, because, uh, you know, it just seemed like it happened so long ago, but when she was very cruelly outed and then they had that really tone-deaf ad campaign for her as an LGBT character within the show, I was like, uh, the show is kind of doing the same thing by presenting that tone-deaf uh, version of, you know, ad campaign for having an LGBT character, yet not offering at the same time a more nuanced and what you should do when portraying such a character to offset it. I mean, they just had the bad thing. So they put only, they only put a bad thing out into the world and laughed at it, but didn't offer an alternative. So they just perpetrated the situation they were making fun of. So that really bothered me. That also really bothered me a lot. But back to A-Train. So I thought he was great. And I thought that it was wonderful that at the end of the season, he took control of his own destiny. I also love that he said, I can canvas the city in three hours and I just look for you. <laughs> and they're like, how'd you find us, A-Train? That was great. How do you open the car door and close it though? So fast without there being more of an impact. But anyway, he took control of his own destiny, whereas the Deep, in comparison, gave up control of his destiny to others. And look which turned out better. I mean, again, the more you, when you, more you think about it, the show is brilliant. But again, it's so rushed and jumping back and forth between things so quickly. Wait till we touch on the feminism stuff that they went off, they had. You just don't really see any of it. And that's unfortunate. I mean, I, I think the Scientology storyline could have been in a whole other season. Just where it could have been the B storyline instead of the C storyline. I mean, so often during season two, I was like, 
why are we wasting our time with this Scientology stuff? It's not doing anything and it's taking away valuable screen time from other storylines that I am enjoying. But now that I look back on it, I'm like, oh yeah, there was a reason for this to be here. And it was actually really good. But it took too long for me to recognize that. And while I was watching the show week to week, I still felt that that time was wasted. And I'm not, you know, I still had that reaction. Uh, also, Goran Visnik here looked distractingly like Hugh Jackman. I was like, you look a lot like Hugh Jackman. And I actually thought his character was really interesting. I was really coming to like him. And I actually wouldn't have killed him off. I mean, couldn't she have exploded the head of someone else nearby him as like a warning or something? I don't know. But least favorite member of the seven this season? It pains me to say Black Noir. Now, I love that he's revealed not to be a Homelander clone, as he is in the comics. I know a lot of you wanted to see that, but I really didn't want to see it. So I was so happy when Maeve pulled back his mask and you could see that he was uh, a black man just as the actor who portrays him. Because, you know, no way, especially today, as they should not do, would they have a black actor as a stand-in for a white character. And they're like, oh, now the character finally gets to show his, sp- his face? Thanks, actor who's played him for this, all these episodes. You can step out now. I mean, that would have been like a, a nightmare. Again, as it should be. And also, I think, though, to do that would have undercut the complexity of the role that Anthony Starr and the team have created. Uh, again, in the comics, Homelander was just disgusting. So you could play with him with other outside characters. Uh, but now you don't need to do that. Also... In the comics, Black Noir was uh, Vought's safety net for Homelander, but now Ryan serves that purpose, and so we can explore that with Homelander's son. So you, I don't think they should, I didn't want them to go down that path, and I'm so glad that they didn't. And they didn't, I don't think they needed to. But, st- but with, what they did do with the character this season, I just felt was a waste. Like, I thought he had his own reasons for hunting down Butcher, like, because he went downstairs and asked them to locate him. And I was like, what does he want to talk to Butcher about? I was just so curious. And then he ended up just being an errand boy for Stan Edgar. That, to me, was very disappointing. And then also, while none of us will ever think of an Almond Joy the same way again, and that will become an iconic moment for the show, and I think for Almond Joy... I felt it was at the expense of the dignity of the character. So I actually ended up not loving it. Uh, although I do like to have fun with it now, and I'll always, you know, talk about, I'll always think of that when I look at an Almond Joy. But also, the product placement overall for the show this season and the pop culture references were just too much. Too much, to the point they took me out of the flow of the show. Like, for instance, in the final episode, when um, Starlight's talking about the cross that her mother bought her, she's like, I'm sure she got this at a Dwayne Reed. And I'm like... Why wouldn't you just say drugstore? And especially because Dwayne Reed's, I think, are only specific to maybe just New York City. So no one's even going to get that reference. They're going to be like, where'd she buy it? Anywhere else. And if you're in New York, like myself, you're like, why are you giving, did Dwayne Reed really pay for that endorsement? So it was just weird. And then also too much Billy Joel music. And I love Billy Joel. I mean, to the point that Huey had to explain it. And I was like, I don't really think the explanation really cut it. But also, I was like, how is nobody asking whether or not they should investigate that maybe Huey's mom disappeared for other reasons? I was, and also, you know she's coming back for season three, by the way, for them to reference her like that. Uh, all right, so anyway, so of course, speaking of women, who didn't love all the women teaming up together to beat up uh, uh, Stormfront? in the season finale. I mean, that was an incredible moment with all the guys just standing there watching, being like, what should we do? I mean, it was just so good. It was such a great moment and it was such a great callback 
to Girls Get It Done. I mean, that was just fantastic. I wish, in fact, that a character had referenced that because you might think it's too on the nose, but again, because this season was so crowded and so all over the place, I think it was needed to remind people. I mean, because that just seems so far ago. I mean, who even is thinking of the press conference at that point? Because they introduced it and then they dropped it for the rest of the season until it came back. This was a fantastic callback, but it was just too far of a callback. And so I wish that someone had said something uh, it could have been one of the guys. It could have been one of the girls. Just somebody could have said it really quickly for you to be like, that's brilliant. And again, so I really do feel that could have been in a whole different season with a really strong focus on feminism and what it means to be a woman in this brand new world that everyone's living in. Speaking of also that, on that note, I'm very happy that Starlight has switched back to her original costume. I would have loved it if she had a third new costume because the costume that she has is very much a costume designed as it was by, by and for a little girl. So something that is not quite as like, you know, doesn't have, isn't, isn't, um, as, you know, uh, you know, flamboyant or as sexy as the costume that Vaughn put her in, but something that shows like she's matured because she has matured as a character. I would like to see her costume mature as well. I love having her have one foot in the seven and one foot in the boys. I think Starlight had a great season two. I think it was great growth for her character. Then, as for the boys, Huey continues to be a fantastic character thanks to Jack Quaid's performance, who has his father's exact smile from smirk to grin. That also would sometimes take me out of the show. I'd be like, man, that like you got you got Dennis Quaid's smile, you know, down to like the DNA. Like it's incredible. Uh, and now while now at the beginning of the season, it looked like Huey maybe could lead or co-lead once Butcher returned the boys. I think that it turned out that he really couldn't. He just couldn't do it. And I think it's because he didn't have anything to contribute. He really just ended up being like the team mascot. And he would come in with like a great little motivational speech. But then characters started dismissing his motivational speeches. And so you're like, why are you here? And I think it got so bad that even Huey was like, yeah, why am I here? And I actually think that the political storyline that he's embarking on, uh, you know, asking the congresswoman if he could work for her, is perfect for Huey. He looks like someone who works in politics. So I'm very excited to see where that takes not just the show, but him specifically as a character. Other great moments. It was fun to see Sean Ashmore briefly as Lamplighter. Very briefly. The show actually said they regretted how brief his role was. But I thought it was particularly amusing because it was basically Iceman playing Pyro, even down to the lighter. And Sean Ashmore did a great job. He's, he's still got it. He's a good actor. You Seeing this, you, you wished he got more work. And then also the moment where Homelander and Stormfront flew off in the air with Ryan. That was such an incredible moment. The look on everyone's face, how quickly it happened. I mean, I actually rewound it to watch it a few more times. That was to me. That and when Ryan chooses Butcher over Homelander, those were two of the best moments of the show that were just perfectly done, that were just incredible. And again, why I felt that that storyline really deserved its whole own season. Uh, I also really like how Billy, uh, Billy Butcher and Stan Edgar have an open line of communication and respect for one another. They see each other more as equals, something that Homelander and Stan Edgar don't have. I would love for Homelander to find out about that. I would love for Stan Edgar to have conversations with both of them. Because again, Butcher and Homelander are really two different sides of the same coin. That's what, again, this show is about, and that's when the show is at its best. So that's my my spoiler review for The Boys Season 2. I can't wait for Season 3. What did you think? Share your thoughts down below. Season 3 video coming tomorrow. Uh, subscribe today. And of course, as always, you can check out some more videos right now.